Hello, I'm Stephanie Bysouth, your host of the Agile Boss Podcast, where we reveal the strategies, tactics and experiences of great Agile business leaders. Welcome everyone. Today we're going to be talking with Sam Fowler from Genesis Energy in Auckland, New Zealand. First, let's hear from Bagavi Kote. Bagavi's a scrum master that works with Sam and she has nominated him as her agile boss for all of us to learn from. Thank you for this opportunity, first of all. Sam is my agile boss. He's a lovely human being. He's packed with ideas. Um, he's uh, a role model, like very approachable. We go to him with problems and he is always ready to help out, find, draw out the ideas and experiences that he had in the past, but then helps people to find their own way of solving it. Sam is a people's person. He, he spends time and prioritizes on relationship building, builds the process around people, which is the awesome thing, while delivering value at all, at every point of time. So I admire Sam on several fronts there. Yeah, it's been awesome working with Sam and hence I've nominated Sam as my Agile boss, my favorite Agile boss. So welcome, Sam. It's great to have you here. Thanks very much. It's, uh, it's great to be here. When did you get expo- first exposed to Agile or what really transitioned you on to being an Agile business leader? So my background is in systems engineering um, and I spent uh, my kind of early years of my career um, working in big, big scale projects, General Electric. Now they've had, uh, had a history of Agile transformations and Agile you know, ways of working from right back when um, their healthcare division transformed to, to Agile, probably, probably 30 years ago now. Um, and we took lots of the learnings from that and uh, kind of implemented Agile at scale across um, what was the oil and gas division. And I spent a long time there taking really traditional ways of working, traditional business units um, and helping them to work in a um, sort of a more reactive way. Um, and over time, I've transitioned from a, from engineering into a fully uh, agile roles. Um, and, and now I've taken a lot of that experience and, and brought that to Genesis. Well, that must have come up against a few challenges because traditionally we don't hear of agile being adopted in oil and gas companies. What were some of the challenges you had to help them overcome and yourself? So I guess the the biggest challenges are really the way people have always done things and the way they've they've worked for you know potentially decades. I think we had some people who'd been there for thirty years in the same you know almost the same desk. Um, they'd done the same things in the same way. So the real challenges were understanding why people did things the way they did, and then um, helping them to understand how. Um, maybe there was a different approach that they could try. You know, it's not the end of the world if you try something and it doesn't work. But the the real challenge was taking that kind of that mindset and being able to to change that over time. You know, slowly, not a sudden. Hey, this is brand new thing. We're going to change the way we do everything, but a slow step by step process of changing people's behavior and changing people's attitude um, and changing the way people think about things. Um, and that that was particularly challenging in oil and gas which is a very project driven you know very 
budget driven you know requirements driven organization and process um to a kind of a more reactive more responsive customer driven uh, way of working was was a real change and a mental shift for lots of other people it makes a big difference when you actually start with the mindset doesn't it and bring the people on the journey what kind of business impacts did that have so i i think the big thing that people often thought was going to happen was that we would suddenly get faster at delivering things and and that wasn't what happened at all um we didn't get any faster in fact we probably um we probably didn't necessarily get slower but we got better at predicting that we would be slower so we we got pretty good at saying hey we're going to deliver at this point in the future and it was never what people wanted to hear but the big thing that we gained was that we actually got more predictable and we got better quality so we didn't get any faster but we had a better understanding of what was going on better understanding of what the customer wanted and then a, a realistic understanding of when we would deliver something initially an unmeasured benefit predictability and quality because you've stopped future cost or you stopped wasted development did you guys start principle based or did you start with the practices um so we we've taken a kind of a mixed approach uh, in some places we've gone well let's just try the practices and we'll start getting used to running you know running a daily scrum and and things like that and then over time we've gone well the reason that we do this is you know because of these these behaviors that we're trying to change and then in other areas we've we've really steered away from the practices and we've gone well doesn't really matter what practice you use but these are some of the ways we'd like to see you know see people work um, and i think it's really about understanding the way people already work and and trying to get things that are not too big a change and not too big a you know upheaval and working out which of those fits and did it take much to work out which were fit so i think genesis is actually i guess really effective in the way it's um it's done um the change and we haven't gone for a massive transformation we haven't restructured our organization but we also haven't kept it exactly the same we've kind of tried to go for a consistent change approach that small changes relatively frequently so that we we don't get into this whole big restructure big change kind of big bang approach um but we're not staying exactly the same so we're we constantly chip away at the things that we'd like to fix and we have you know long-term um changes um and i think that pace of change is really helpful because you you don't get the um, the big bang change that people don't really understand the reasons for you you work through the changes and people can see the difference as you change something small and can over time learn why that change is beneficial for the organization so i think the the pace of change really helps you to embed lots of the the practices and lots of the behaviors over time and, and people really understand them and really get them which is great to hear because it sounds like that setting up a sustainable success for you guys yeah, so I mean, we've been going for four years, and we're you know we're nowhere near perfect, and we're nowhere near where we would like to be. But if you compared us where we are now to where we were four years ago, or where we were even twelve months ago, the organisation looks completely different. The way people work is completely different. You know, the things that you'd see in the office are completely different. So that's how we know we're succeeding: is that we see continuous change, but it's not big bang. You know, suddenly we're going to tear everything up and we're going to have a new model or a new new tribe or new design. And has it changed your leadership? Have you found um, that it's actually helped you in your role? Yeah, I think so. I think being conscious of um, 
the pace of change and how much how much change is going on in different areas of the business is really important and if you if you go too quickly on change then you um you can put people off and people can you know people don't understand the um the reason for change or why you might change you've got to bring people along the, the journey and you've got to keep that pace of change sustainable because if we ever think that we've finished changing then we're probably uh, assessing the situation wrong and um, we've probably failed what are some of the practices that uh, have really helped you in your role so i think um just being having a really good understanding of what the problems are you're trying to solve and then having a process to go through to say well these are the you know these are the big things we'd like to solve but um you know we can't solve all of that at once so what are the the first small steps we're going to take and having a nice structure around that or a nice way of doing that is is really important so we um for example we have a backlog of small changes that we're making and just just having that um visibility is really useful and gives you a real sense of okay yes there's this giant problem um and you know we want to make massive change but we can't do all of that at once so these small step-by-step -step changes that we're making you know that um sit on the backlog and we you know we work on it we make a really small change and then you can see that happening i think is really powerful and it it gives you a sense of momentum even though the things you're changing are quite small if you look back over you know six months the the amount of change that you've managed to affect in an organization is huge definitely adds up doesn't it i think one of the other nice things that you've achieved that bagavi pointed to is as a leader, you really, what's the word, enable and empower or enable people to do their best selves. Like it was really quite a nice thing that she said in terms of you set up the environment, uh, you gave her the trust and support in order to be a great scrum master and team leader herself. Do you know what you do uniquely to make, to set up that kind of environment for teams? So I guess what I focus on is having a really strong chapter of scrum masters. So we have a group of, of scrum masters and tribe leads. So it's a, a effectively an agile, agile chapter, a group of agile professionals. And we, we focus on um, keeping that group really well connected, keeping that group talking to each other. And I don't tell that group what to do or, you know, how to do things, but we, we focus on, you know, working together to solve the problems, working together to work out how as a, group we get more mature how we get better at what we do um, and actually i think a, a really key component of that is that we regularly reassess the way we're working as a group and and see if it's meeting our meeting our needs for people who aren't familiar with chapters chapters are a collective of people of the same role or same skill set so in your case your chapters scrummies and they all work across different teams in a delivery tribe don't they yeah, so the the structure that we have is um, is very similar to say the Spotify uh, model. I, I know people don't like calling it the Spotify model, but um, <laughs> where you have tribes and chapters, and our chapters are people with the same um, or similar skill set who are in cross functional teams. So the chapter is really your home for um, kind of the, the way you do things. You know, the consistent consistency or of approach, um, but and, and probably line reporting as well but it's not who you work with day to day. So it's, it's about improving your skill as, as that particular role. One of the things that other organizations have struggled with is creating the capacity for their people to learn. 
like whether it's to learn new methods or even time to solve problems or innovate on the way that they work. The chapter model that you're referring to is is a dedicated space for people to learn and grow. So it it sounds like a, a really great structure that's helping your people. Yeah, it works really well for us. And, and we have um, lots of chapters across different types of roles and, and some of those are, are much more advanced and more mature than others. I guess just being able to create those connections between the people um, in you know, doing similar things wouldn't normally happen if you're in a traditional um, line reporting structure. So f- for us, it's, it's great because we, you know, we don't work together day to day, but we come together to focus on the things that are important in our role. Um, and we, um, as a group of scrum masters, we actually set time aside every week to do that. So we have a, a dedicated slot where we, you know, we come together, we have time to solve problems, to learn about things, you know, just to, to even just share what's going on, um, you know, things that you've tried recently. And just being able to create that, that time for people to, you know, stop on a day-to-day execution and work out, you know, almost pull your head up and work out, you know, what's, what's going on in the organization. What are the big things that we should be thinking about that we should be trying to improve? I and mean, then just having that creates a really good connection in the team as well. Yeah. I imagine there's a lot of cultural benefits from that, having that thinking time, that peer support and just constantly questioning how, how can we do better? Yeah, definitely. Um, and we, we also have kind of dedicated, um, breaks every so often so every five or six sprints we have a a week's break where we um would have a chapter day where we spend a whole day kind of reassessing you know where we're at um what what our kind of level of maturity is what things we want to target next and i think those in particular um create some real benefits um for the chapters and make those chapters really strong and uh, without the chapters being really strong it's really hard to have a an effective um uh, organization or effective tribe um, because those chapters are what ties all of the the teams together and keeps them close enough um, that they can you know they can work together effectively it's like it's really interesting actually because it's like the structure having the chapter structure the time to regularly come together it's much like a professional sports structure you take the team aside you train them you practice their key skills you look at their game plan and then send them back out to play the game or send them back out into the tribe to deliver from a performance point of view do you guys actually measure how do you measure performance improvement over time is it is it something that you measure within the tribes or do you have some some sort of index to help your scrum masters know how their performance and performance is improving? Yeah, so we have, I guess, a few different approaches to, to measuring performance. Um, so we, a big thing we focused on for probably the last two years is chapter maturity. So we measure, um, we have a standard kind of measurement of chapter maturity and we get all of the chapters to assess how they're doing and it's a scale of one to five basically of of how mature they are with five being you know we're perfect everything kind of works and one being we're not really a chapter at all we're a disconnected uh, group of individuals we we frequently reassess that so about every three months we'll go through an exercise to to assess where we're at at the moment and what steps we'd like to take to improve that we've been doing that for for a couple of years pretty regularly across all of our chapters and just through 
that exercise we've been able to level up all of those chapters um, and you know there's still real variance in how mature those chapters are um, but just getting those chapters to focus on okay what could we do next to get a bit more mature um, is is really powerful and we've also we've taken the same approach and we've started to apply that to teams as well so that teams can you know look at themselves and go okay we're you know we're two on the maturity scale at the moment what are some of the things that we could do to get to two and a half or three um, and how long do we you know do we want to space that out over um, and how much capacity can we carve out to spend some time improving that's really helpful from a it helps people to understand the benefits of spending some time working on how they work as a team um, and it gives the, the teams a bit of an incentive to go well if we spend some time we can actually get from you know this score and we can improve it a little bit and that'll actually make everything else we do a bit easier and um, so just having that framework let's let's the teams uh see the fruit of their investment for non-agilists who might be listening it's really interesting listening to you sam talk about you've set up a framework you've set up a, a cadence for the teams to question their own performance and then the opportunity for them to contribute and design how they improve. Now, that's actually really quite different to some of the traditional, whether it be cultural productivity measures that companies would have in place. Even, even different from say, an employee engagement survey, we have to answer a set of questions, it comes back on a score, and then there may be some sort of central initiative to make you all improve. And like, given your experience, you would have seen both. Yeah. You got a pref preference? We actually probably run both still. Um, so we have, you know, company-wide engagement surveys and, and there'll be um, there'll be a survey. And in, in the past, it would have been an annual survey and, you know, the results would have been rolled up across the whole company. And then the exec would decide, you know, these are the key things that we're going to target and there'll be some big initiatives to, to improve that. Um, and we still do that. We've we've changed the cadence. So we actually have engagement surveys that go out every week to everyone in Genesis. Um, so that gives us a bit more frequent information and data. So it's a bit more uh, fresh. But we actually still run both of those together. And the what we try and do is to get the useful bits from both of them. So the data that we're getting out of our engagement surveys we actually give to the teams and, and let the teams kind of look at the data and kind of go, well, it, is this a problem we need to deal with or is this something we need to celebrate that's going really well? Um, and we try and pull that into the process. And I guess the, the real difference that we've, or the, the real change that we've made between the two is that we are trying to be much more team-centric in the way we um, approach things like engagement surveys. So rather than, you know, somebody saying, this is the solution to the problem that has been flagged in this survey. It's, it's the teams going, well, this is the kind of data we're seeing and, and this is what we're trying to change to, to fix that. Even if the solution is the same, the ownership that the teams then got over that solution is really powerful. I mean, it doesn't feel like something that's been imposed on the team. It's, it's come from the team, it's owned by the team and, and it's much more likely to work because the team are invested in that outcome. And that's a great thing to point out, isn't it, is you're creating a way for your people to be invested in the outcomes. And a business that has more and in people invested in driving better outcomes 
invariably does a lot better in the market as what Genesis has been doing recently. The other thing you mentioned is think time. You obviously got a lot of learning time, but a big part of that is thinking. One of the things that's coming through every single podcast that each of the leaders has met, has mentioned is how important think time is. And yet it's we rarely ever see in the business books we'll make time for thinking or make time for even just play and improvement. It's really great to see, actually. Yeah, and it's really important. And you often, you know, you see teams who are too busy to stop and spend the time thinking about how they could do things better. And, and that's almost like a, it's a never ending cycle because they're never thinking about how to, how to change the way they work or how to improve. So they're always too busy. So you've almost, you've got to find a way to break that cycle and, and just be able to step back and, and think about, you know, think about how you're working, what you're doing, what's important. And that leads to improvement and, and probably actually, even though you've stopped, leads to you going faster overall. It sounds like a great team to be part of. For yourself, how are you taking care of your own learning and your own think time? Or do you do that at the same time with your scrummies? So I guess it's a mixture sometimes. Yeah, we do that. I do that at the same time as the, the scrum masters. But I think a big thing for me is, is talking to other people and other organizations and trying to learn from them. So, I mean, you can spend, you could spend your whole life reading, reading blog posts that people have written on the internet and, and things like that. But the, the real valuable thing for me is learning from other people's experience and other people's mistakes and other, you know, other people's successes. We kind of consciously carve out quite a bit of time to go and talk to other organizations, but even talk to other parts of Genesis who, you know, maybe aren't working in an agile way or, maybe have tried some things but just learning from them and hearing their experience and hearing their things that have really worked for them is really powerful for us and i think that's that's really where i find it really powerful as you can you can learn so much from what other people have tried um, and and you can kind of shortcut lots of the the experience that you could get yourself by by finding out what other people have done have you got an, a favorite experience or someone else's stuff up that you've learned from I guess um, a really interesting one for us is that we, you know, we run agile and we use all these funny words and and we talk in a, you know, kind of a, you know, we talk about things that, you know, someone on the street would never really understand. And really early on when we started agile, we, you know, we talked to lots of different areas of Genesis and we actually talked to the, the guys that run the power plants and, and they, you know, generally just didn't really get the language and they, found it quite off-putting but when we talked to them a bit more and we found out how they worked we actually the more we understood it the more we realized that they actually work in a really agile way and they do lots of the practices that we do but they call them something different so instead of a, a daily scrum they might have a toolbox talk at the beginning of the day but the the things that they're doing are really agile and um, so i think the the really powerful learning for me was that actually the behavior underneath is really similar what we call the practices at the at the end of the day is is kind of irrelevant. The, the mindset is really important, and it was really interesting that you, you know you can walk into a power plant that's it feels like a really different environment, but actually lots of the behaviours and the um, the mindsets were very similar to the way we were acting. Yeah, that's a great call out, isn't it? Because sometimes the agile language can get a bit of gobbledygook. 
it can be really off-putting as well the language you know you come in and you say oh we're going to do kanban and and people go what on earth is that um but you look and and actually they they do something very similar um but they just don't call it the same thing and i like that tool what did you call it toolbox talk yeah yeah gosh there's so much that you guys are doing what about some things around disruption or innovation or is it just been continuous along the way yeah so i think for us it's um it's continuous. We do have dedicated, dedicated teams that are, you know, innovation teams, but we, you know, we can be quite, um, we're often a bit hesitant about using that language because we don't want to say, well, you, you guys over here are the only people that can innovate and nobody else can. So I think it's for us, it's been really important to be quite broad in our definition of innovation and, and what's innovative might not be the you know the fanciest new product it might actually be a different way of um of doing something or a different process um in a an area of the business that's not really changed in the past so we kind of have a mix of you know some teams who are really trying to be innovative um and building new brand new things but we also have teams that are just trying to do the same thing they've always done but in a different way um, and that's still innovative that's still innovation so can you know? I think we've got a real, real spectrum. Yeah, that's great to see. From your perspective, what about some of the governance and and like I imagine being a utilities business, there's quite a lot of just groundwork, just operational work you've got to do. Has that shifted at all on your agile journey? Yeah, it has. Um, so we we never started. Um, by changing our governance structures. But over time, we found that a lot of that has changed. So I guess one of the, the biggest um, the biggest changes that we made that made a massive difference is the way that we funded our work. Um, so in the past, we were operated in a very traditional way where we would fund a project and the project would uh, put together a, bin, a business case and they would go for approval and they'd say, okay, we want you know X amount of money and we're going to build this thing and it's going to be amazing and we're going to deliver it pretty typical traditional model yeah exactly and and that project would have the funding and then that funding would be there and effectively until the funding was spent so even though um you know things might change and that might not no longer be the most important thing to work on that project still had some funding associated with it so if you came along and said oh i want to work on something else it, it didn't really fit so um, I guess just over a year ago, we changed our model to be a um, squad funding model where we fund the squads. So the funding is associated with the um, the team or the squad and those squads work on the most valuable thing at that particular time. Um, and that really, it wasn't a massive change in our, our processes and, and things like that. The, the big change was in the the shift from focusing on um, project-based funding and then, you know, billing back to that project to, well, as a, as a squad, what's the most valuable thing we could be spending our time on and our money on. And that was just a really simple shift that made people suddenly go, well, actually we need to, we need to really focus on what we work on and why we work on it and, and why we should do something rather than something else. And that just, it changed the, the mindset of the organization quite significantly. That's actually quite impressive because one of the last blueprints of a business that 
that tends to change is the financing model or the financial modeling. What, um, what kind of cadence do you guys, I assume you've run your financial planning and then valuation in terms of how that went onto a cadence? Does that match your delivery cadence or what are some of the practicalities that had to change? Yeah, so we, we found, um, so we still do um, annual um, reviews of, of budgets and, th and things like that, but we still, uh, and we still operate quarterly um, budget review cycles. But what we've um, found is that we actually fit um, what we call an increment, which is a group of sprints into a, a quarterly um, cycle so that actually our cadences tie up quite nicely. Um, so we've kind of, I guess, changed both ends of the spectrum. So we've changed some of the traditional um, funding structures and the funding cadences, but we've also designed our agile cadences around the business processes so that they, they're kind of compatible and it's not perfect, um, but we, we're set up so that we have four increments a year, which roughly align to the quarters. Um, and, and therefore it's, it's relatively easy for, for both, um, both sides, both the kind of traditional finance areas and the, and the squads and the teams that are delivering to tie those together. Did the financial accountability, did you guys move it into the product ownership side or the scrum mastership side? Because I've seen when organisations move to a tribe model, um, they, they've actually divvied up the responsibilities of product ownership and scrum mastership quite differently. How's it looking in your organisation? Yeah, it's uh, for a long time it was a kind of a constant source of debate about where that should sit. Um, now it's um, the product owners own the, the finances and the return on investment. Um, but actually we have, um, we have a few different tribes and for each tribe, the product owners um, work with a business owner who is the um, overall, uh, has overall responsibility for the, for the budget for those, um, for those squads. And, and what we're doing at the moment is we're, we're actually almost, stepping up a level in our um, funding so that we have uh, essentially tribe level funding um, so that's actually moving more into the business owner kind of role um, across a, a whole series of, of squads and product owners when you became agile you got predictability you got quality and now you've got visibility of your finances on in a very frequent cadence compared to a lot of other companies what impact has that had Yes, yeah, so, so a big focus for us, um, particularly recently, actually, is it's been um, creating visibility across more and more of the organisation. So we, when we started um, Agile, we had uh, eight squads, and I guess that was probably fifty or sixty people. Um, and what we found was that it gave us really good visibility, and it gave the organisation um, transparency that it had never had before across those teams. And what we've found over time is that actually that's really valuable to the organization. So we've expanded that model and we're still in the process of expanding it at the moment. Um, but we, we now use the same structure across the whole of our retail business, which is around 750 people. So we've, we've really expanded that. And the, the driver for that is the transparency and the visibility that you get from, from the way that we work and you can make really informed investment decisions because of it um, and, and that's something that we haven't 
really had in lots of areas of the business. We haven't had the ability to make really good trade-offs about where to spend our money, about what to invest in, about what's important. And, and to be able to change that um, at a pace that's that, that lets you be really competitive. Have, have your metrics changed in terms of how you measure what is value? Yeah, they have. And, um, and, and we're still iterating on them. Um, but I, I guess when we first started, we would have um, very project-driven metrics, um, and they might vary by project. Now we have uh, consistent metrics, uh, and we don't um, oh, we, we use those metrics to prioritize the work that we do. So it, you kind of get both sides of the, the picture. Um, and it has meant that we have a real shift away from, say, individual um, utilization of, of people, um, much more to the value that those squads are delivering and the, the output. So we've 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 changed, um, I guess, from where we were. There's still a long way for us to go on um, on really getting um, the the metrics and the measurement and the visibility of um, what we're delivering to actually change that the financial language or financial measures takes a fair bit of advocacy it sounds like you guys have got some really good executive support for this continuous change and to even go down this path how's the um yeah how is the executive support there and what are they doing differently to to enable this it's pretty unique yeah, we're really lucky in that we have um, really strong support from um, both our CEO and from our executive. Um, and, you know, that doesn't mean that everything uh, everything that um, we would like to happen uh, magically happens. And there's still a lot of, um, you know, a lot of advocacy, a lot of discussion, a lot of debate. Um, but through having that support, it gives us the ability to talk about the way we could be doing things instead of the way we are doing things um, and you don't you don't suddenly hit a ceiling where the answer is no um, there's always a discussion and and you know to, to change the, the example I talked about earlier about the way we changed our finances probably took us from when we first started to talk about it to when the change actually happened probably took us 18 months of um, talking to people and you know and, and working through the the problems with the systems that we currently had to, to actually make the change as it's a long time and, and none of the things happen quickly, but having the support lets you just continually drive that change and, and continually just get a little bit better. I think that's a really good call out in terms of, if I think about others that we've talked to and what you're doing, you took the time to solve problems that may have got in the way, you time to have the discussions, time to get the the people involved um, and all of that actually mitigates risk which is generally one of the biggest fears of the chain uh, of financial language or metrics changes that's out there it um, did you guys intentionally know that you were mitigating that risk that way or is it more of a cultural thing I think for us it's more of a cultural um, cultural thing um, and just um, spending time getting people to understand that um you know agile doesn't just mean that you run off and do things and you know no documentation no accountability that kind of stuff to to really bring people on the journey and get them up to speed and get them to really understand how you work and why you do things in a particular way i think was the real um 
was really important in, in letting us change. And I've got to say, one of the things I also am noticing talking to different people around the world is that the, the culture of the country they're in has a big influence. So it's quite common in New Zealand companies that they'll take the time to have a discussion, even to debate, like a healthy debate to talk things through. Do you reckon New Zealand's pretty unique from that perspective? Yeah, probably. Um, so I spent a long time working in the UK and it, it's definitely a really different um, environment, a really different culture. Um, and, and I think particularly at Genesis, we're very um, conscious of taking the time to, to work things out and, and uh, get to the best outcome. Fantastic to hear all of the practical things that, you, that you've been doing. And it also sounds like as a leader, you have a really nice patience have you always been like that or is it the experience that Agile has given you to take that time and to lead that way? Yeah, I think it's a um, over time you learn that things don't suddenly change and you don't, you know, suddenly, you, you can't suddenly change an organization and that patience and that resilience to keep coming back to the same problems and keep chipping away, um, you know, a, a tiny, tiny step at a time, it, it takes you a while to learn that and I think um one now we've learned that at genesis and now i've learned that i think it, it's really powerful and that we understand that it, it's going to take us a long time to get to where we want to get to um but that going on the journey is is almost as important as the destination and for anyone who's on the precipice about to go on this agile journey be it by choice or um by directive any tips for them to start out with um i guess the the key thing would be it's going to take twice as long as you think, or maybe even five times as long as you think. Um, and don't be, don't be frustrated if nothing changes or nothing goes perfectly to start with. Um, you'll get there. It's, it's really about persistence. Yeah, very much, isn't it? Hey, so we always like to end our questions on what are the best three books that best represent you as a agile business leader that you could recommend <laughs> to someone else? So I think, um, I guess one of them, it's probably not really a book, but uh, my background's in engineering. So I spent a lot of time um, learning about Lean Six Sigma and process improvement for manufacturing. But uh, a lot of Agile and a lot of the things that we do come from that um, Lean background. So I think learning about Lean is is really important. And, and that's kind of, that's really process driven you know it's not very people focused but but that's really important having an understanding of that uh, for me is really really helpful and then i guess some of the other things that are really important are more the people side so i um really enjoy books like five dysfunctions of a team where you start to understand how teams operate and some of the dynamics in those teams and i, I think that's almost the other end of the spectrum but it's really important in the um, organizational changes, understanding, you know, how things happen, how people react, the way they work. And then I guess I'd, the third one, it's not really a book either, um, is just talking to other people. And, and that's for me is a real source of, um, knowledge and, and inspiration is, is talking to other people, other organizations, other agile coaches, other scrum masters. So if you could, if we could get someone for you to talk to, who would you like to, who would you like to talk to? that we should interview on the podcast, actually, so that I can reciprocate the learnings for you. So I guess Gareth Holbrook is someone that um, 
we spend a lot of time or used to spend a lot of time talking to he's um spent a few years at freedom and really took their agile practice forward you know a massive amount and they they're a different company to genesis they've always operated in a in an agile way um but for us he spent a lot of time talking to us and and really was really really valuable so he would be a perfect person to talk to thank you sam it's been wonderful to talk to you and just to hear about all of the practical applications that you guys are doing it particularly of agile at scale really useful really great example and um, i'm sure when any of us can leave our countries new zealand will be first on the places to visit so thank you very much cool cheers bye thanks agile bosses for listening today all references, links that are mentioned in our podcast are available on my website. It's stephaniebysouth.com under our show notes. And the podcast is also available across all major podcast platforms. Thanks, boss. Have a great day.